in the series called More Than Words, and I was going to walk up to the extreme song, and then I thought about uh, not doing that. And, and so, but it's, man, what, what, what a great series this is going to be. A lot of the talk about truth, uh, and uh, a lot of talk about relationships. And I got to tell you, as I was preparing this message, many of you came to my mind uh, by name. And I wrote some slides specifically for you. So if you're hearing the message and you go, man, that seems to resonate with me, I was thinking about you uh, specifically. It's unnerving, isn't it? Just a little bit, it's a little unnerving. Those are pastor jokes and pastor games. All right, here we go. Truth is not merely impersonal content, okay? Truth is not merely like just data, right? Truth has a purpose, and truth is a means by which relationships are created and maintained. Uh, truth is, is actually the necessary ingredient for a relationship to both be created and maintained. And when truth begins to sort of lose its truthiness in the context of a relationship, what happens is that relationship becomes very, very difficult to maintain or impossible to maintain, and it becomes very difficult to create a relationship with anybody who is not uh, dealing in the economy of truth. So shared truth is a vital for healthy relationships. It's like necessary. And the big idea of this sort of section of Proverbs is truthfulness. Uh, and and, the, and the, the, the relationship between truthfulness and healthy relationships. Look at the kind of concluding verse here of our section today in verse 28. A lying tongue hates its victims. In other words, a, a deceitful person victimizes. There are victims in relationships, and the victims are those who have not been spoken the truth to. And, and a flattering mouth works ruin. In other words, a, 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 a mouth that, that is only say, is saying things that are void of real content, real meaning, real truth, that person who's flattering of the other person works to the ruin of a relationship. So relationships that do not deal in economies of truth will eventually come to ruin is the big idea of this text. And, and this, there's going to be some challenges here for you and me because most of us will begin with the assumption that I'm dealing with an economy of truth in my relationship, uh, that, I, that I am a truthful person, uh, generally speaking. But then when you dig into the content of this text, you're going to realize that many of us are guilty, all of us are guilty at times of not being truth tellers, and the consequence of that is the breakdown of relationships. Uh, and there's a real kind of motive here that begins to get unearthed. See, the motive behind our deceit is not the love of the other person, rather it's the love of self, that's the motive. And he says, lying tongue hates its victims. A lying, a lying tongue isn't looking for the best interest of the other person, but they're preserving their own best interest. And so anytime that you're in the relationship and you're communicating in that context of that relationship, whatever the relationship may be, whether it be a work relationship or a marriage relationship, a relationship with someone that you love in your life, whatever that relationship is, when you are, when you are dealing in an economy of deceit, you're not telling whole truths. What you're doing is you're saying, I value myself above you, and I, really what's happening is I'm hating you in my deceit. So when you're dealing in the economies of deceit, you are doing a few things. One of those is you're, you're concealing true reality. Concealing true reality. I mean, you're, you're, not, you're not dealing honestly about what's really going on. Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. Uh, there, there, is a, uh, there, <laughs> there, there is a kind of person who says, uh, do not believe your own eyes. Do not believe your own ears. That's what the madman says. Like, I know you think I said this, but now I'm just joking. It's, it's not really true. Uh, a madman who is dealing in economies of deceit really is a truth manager. 
And truth management is, is really the, the core sort of essence of what happens when we don't tell the truth, the whole truth. What we're trying to do is trying to control the narrative, trying to control the person, trying to control the situation so we manage the truth. And truth managers don't think you deserve to know the whole truth or they think that you can't handle the whole truth. So they manage others' access to the truth because they want to control the situation. And so instead of you getting angry at the, at, at what, at the deceit or the lie or what was said, you say, I'm only joking. You try to disarm it by telling another lie, by, by managing, by controlling. And truth managing is a form of gaslighting. Uh, gaslighting is an interesting term. It's been used a lot in media in recent times. But gaslighting, when you look at the etymology of the term, it comes from a play written in the late 1930s called Gaslight. And now that play was written about a man who gaslights, literally, his wife. He killed a neighbor upstairs. Uh, he's been going up looking for jewel, jewelry that's been hidden in the upstairs apartment. And every time he lights uh, the, the, the gas lights in the upstairs apartment, the gas lights in their apartment dims. And he convinces his wife that she's crazy. They're not really dimming. And so sh she sees them dimming. She's, her eyes are giving testimony to, to a truth. And he's saying, don't trust your eyes. Don't trust your ears when you hear me walking around upstairs. Guess not. You're just hearing things. And he convinces her that she's crazy. He gaslights her manipulating the truth, managing the truth in such a way that she becomes gaslighted and thinks that she's crazy. See, truth managing is a, a reckless act. It's like, it's like firing flaming arrows into dry tender of a vulnerable relationship. It's, it, it's, it's, it's going to come back to hurt you, like a madman throwing firebrands, arrows, and death. Throwing fiery arrows into dry tender. That's what gaslighting will eventually produce for you is a lot of chaos and a lot of brokenness. Truth managers, what they do is they'll sacrifice vulnerability, real like human connectivity, for the pursuit of control in a relationship. And so they'll sacrifice the, the act actually being in deep, intimate relationship with you for the sake of having the ability to control you. Now, in any relationship, you have to fight to lower control and heighten vulnerable truth-telling. And that's, that's, the real, that's the real trick of having a, a, a great, awesome relationship is to fight to lower the desire to control another person and to heighten the environment that fosters vulnerable truth-telling. And it's not easy to do. And it's been in my experience, and I'll apply this in terms of marriage relationship, but it applies to other relationships of life as well. But there are three kinds of relationships I've noticed over time as a pastor that, that tend to take three different shapes. Uh, one is like an A-frame relationship, one is a Y-frame relationship, another is an H-frame relationship. Now, the, the, the A-frame relationship is a high-control relationship. And so you start out with two individuals, but one person, through their high control in the environment, their high control in the relationship, they, they, they tend to bend the other person into, into that controlling sort of personality, into that, into that and, and what happens is this is often found in a codependent relationship where there's somebody who's got this like sort of real sort of mission and vision about their life, and the other person is just kind of keeps giving in and keeps giving in, keeps giving in, and they lose their own identity in the relationship. That's a kind of an A-frame relationship, high control. And in that high control relationship, somebody ends up like losing themselves in that relationship. But then there's like also a low truth relationship dynamic. And that's where there's like this the A-frame or the Y-frame, I'm sorry, relationship, where there's, there's, no, there's no consistent vulnerable truth telling. What happens in this relationship sometimes in, in the mid-40s or, or 50s, uh, a couple will look at each other and they'll realize that we don't know each other. Like we, at one point we got married because we loved each other and we cared for each other, but we spent enough time uh, doing life on our own path and our own journey that we've grown apart. And there's, re there's really nothing that's pulling us together, nothing that's holding us together. There's no, there's no common bond. 
And so I want to advocate for you, if, you are in a, if you're seeing tendencies in your relationship either to be A-frame, meaning like one person's just super controlling, and, have given up, and another person's sort of given in and given up, or you're in a Y-frame relationship where, where you're just kind of growing apart over time because there's no common bond, maybe you, could, you should fight for an H-frame relationship. This is a relationship that's full of grace and truth. Where there's, where there's a lot of grace to be given, there's common sort of direction in the relationship, but there's a bond of truth that pulls you together, holds you together. I think the single greatest thing you could do for your marriage, by the way, is regular date night. Just to get practical with you here on this, because date night's kind of the centering thing. It keeps you from, you know, it, and, and date night, you, by the way, you got to have, you know, side-by-side activity and face-to-face conversation. And Vanessa was like really pushing back on this sort of date night thing. She goes, oh, people are going to hear date night. They're going to say, I can't afford it. Don't have time for it or whatever. You got you to make it more manageable for people. And I don't know how to do that for you. I'm just going to trust your maturity in this, that if you're in a marriage relationship and you're not regularly involved in activities that are both side by side, meaning you are doing something together, actively engaging on mission as a family and face to face, having heart filled, truth filled, vulnerable conversation, that you are at risk. Like, your relationship is deeply at risk. And if you're in a marriage that is not consistently, readily, on a, I, I'm going to advocate a weekly or biweekly basis where you're having isolated time alone, doing both side-by-side activity, working on the context of the mission that God has called you to in your family, and face-to-face having vulnerable conversation, you are deeply at risk. You need a rhythm in your marriage relationship that allows for recognizing and agreeing on, uh, agreeing to the way things are and where they're going. That's how you maintain that H-frame relationship. Where you're regularly involved in the conversation, where you're going, I, we both agree as to what things are right now and to where we're going as a couple. And if you don't have that in your marriage relationship, you are deeply at risk. And so when you are dealing in economies of deceit, what you're doing is you're concealing true reality. And that's what date night does. It helps you to sort of see reality as it is. But when you're dealing with economies of deceit, you're trying to control and you're manipulating the, concept, the content of a relationship or content of the truth within a relationship, what you're doing is you're concealing the true reality. And eventually, somebody in that relationship will either lose their identity or you'll grow apart over time. And you have to, if you want to foster a, a vibrant and life-giving relationship, you have to deal in economies of truth. And when you're dealing in economies of deception, you are not only concealing true reality, you're creating an alternative reality. And what's interesting about these next few verses is that there's a connection here between whispering and, and quarreling, between gossiping in the context of relationship and fighting. It says, for lack of wood, the fire goes out, and where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. A char- as charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a quarrelsome man for kindling strife. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner parts of the body. It, the, to put this in the context of the flow of thought here, if truth managing is a reckless way to start a fire, firing fiery arrows into tinder, Gossiping is fuel for that fire. He says it's like charcoal, hot embers, like wood to the fire as a quarrelsome man. Somebody who's, who's whispering and dehumanizing another person to the point to where they could, they're fostering fighting and, and argumentation. That's like adding kindling to the fire. See, gossiping is like a whisperer or like a whisperer because it's subtle, but little by little we begin to reduce a person to a single dimension. 
Uh, you can imagine this as, a, as, as in a marriage relationship when you have discontentment in your marriage and then you go to the workplace and the thing that you do is whisper about your spouse behind their back. Uh, you can imagine this when you're at the workplace and you have conflict with somebody and you're whispering about them behind their back and you're removing from them the three-dimensional reality that God created them to be and moving them closer and closer subtly through the whispering to a single dimension. Gossip gives you a sense of control or authority as you evaluate another person. But what you're actually doing, says the proverb, is kindling strife. You're adding wood to the fire. You're providing opportunity for, for argumentation, for fighting. Charcoal, hot embers, wood, is, uh, that's uh, supplying the, the energy necessary for, for the fighting, for the quarreling. See, gossip fuels the flames of discontentment in a relationship. What happens is, like, when you are, let's talk about marriage for a second, when you're in a marriage relationship that's unhappy, you want to make it more unhappy, start gossiping about your spouse. Start whispering about them, even under your breath when, when, when you're in their presence. Start whispering about them to a friend and to a coworker. Start, start creating that alternative reality where all of your, your frustration, your anger starts to be justified because you're painting this portrait of them that's not fully true. It's, it's a single dimension. See, it reduces a person, gossip reduces a person to some of their worst traits. And it's easy to do through whispering. It's to reduce a person to some of their worst traits and not, not to have a vision for, for who God has really made them to be. It works against you giving grace and actively working to develop the best in the other person. Like it works against what God has you in the relationship with them to do in the first place. Like we need to be giving grace and actively working to develop the best in other people. Like you, you need to be doing that in the workplace. You need to be doing that like in your marriage. You need to be doing that in all of your relationships, looking for ways that I could, I could seek God's best in this person's life. But when you're whispering about them and you're reducing them to some of their worst parts and you can't, you can't see, you, don't have, you have no vision for what God's at work doing in their life. So if gossip is reducing a person to some of their worst traits and grace is expanding your vision for what a person could be under the influence of Christ. It's looking at them and going, I, I can see who, who you could be. I could see the made new reality that God's at work doing. I could see it in you. And I want to participate in that. So I just want to give you, like, if you are a whispering, if you're a whispering spouse, a whispering coworker, a whispering child, if you are a whisperer and you've been whispering about somebody and reducing somebody in your life to some of their worst parts, I just want to challenge you to stop whispering. You know, sometimes the appropriate thing in a message is just to say a word of rebuke. And if you are whispering and reducing somebody to some of their worst characteristics, you really need to stop because you're, you're kindling strife and it's going to come back to burn you. For lack of wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no whisper, quarreling ceases. If you want to end the conflict in your relationship, you want to end the conflict in your marriage, you want to end the conflict in, in, in your workplace, you have to at least evaluate that is part of the reason for this conflict my whispering. Is at least part of, my, part of the reason for this conflict is my consistent justification for my anger and rage against the other person. I want to challenge you to pray for eyes to see the person untainted by the fallen world and their personal sin. Just say, God, can you help me to see them the way you see them through the lens of grace? Because there's great potential in every single one of us. And we have been marked by our stories. 
That's part of our three-dimensional right, re- you know, reality. I've got a childhood. I had parents. I had, I had pain. I, had, I have a story. I, I, have, I have, you know, workplace trauma. I have real-life trauma in relation. I mean, things that have formed me and shaped me that, that kind of make me who I am. And, and I really need somebody in my life to be able to see me in all of my dimensions and to see the God's redeeming work and all those things. And if you don't have eyes right now to see how God could be involved in, in your relationships, how God could be involved in your life from a redeeming perspective, then pray for them. Pray for God to open your eyes that you might see. Ask for a vision of how they could be recipients of the renewal work of Jesus. Like just say, God, I don't know how you can do this in this conflict, in this relationship, in this person's life, but I'd love to have a vision for how you could be involved, how you could bring renewal. But I think if you're going to pray this way about a relationship in your life, you're going to pray, um, you're going to to stop whispering for one, and you're going to start asking for eyes to see, and you're going to start asking for a vision for how God's going to get involved in somebody's life, you're going to start doing that, then you also have to do this fourth thing, which is offer your service to God in His mission to develop the person into their renewed self. Like, you've got to be, like, listen... I don't want to oversimplify this, and so I know it's, I know I, sometimes in, in a sermon you run, so if you're speaking generally to people, you run the risk of, of, not, of saying something that's generally true, but that's not specific to somebody's context, okay? So just give me some grace in this. I think so often the reason that conflict is, it, it, it grows and is maintained, and the reason why quarreling and fighting is, is continually happening is partly because of the whispering and the, and the one-dimensionalizing of, of three-dimensional people. But it's also because there's a lack of real faith that God can do the impossible in this relationship. And what begins to happen is people get hopeless. And in their hopelessness, they just don't think God can do anything. And what ends up happening is they end up just sort of de facto just letting it go. But then when you, when you have that sort of moment of faith, what, what happens when you start to believe that God can do the impossible, then you start seeing a vision for what God could do in somebody's life. Then you start asking yourself the question, like, God, how can I be a part of your renewal work? I mean, magic can happen. Like, magic can happen in that relationship. So, so I just want to say, you know, if you're in a tough one right now, if you're in a tough one, don't give up. Like, if, if, you, like if, it's, if it's hard, if you're in a hard one right now, like a hard relationship, like let's just say, say you're in a hard marriage relationship right now, like don't give up. Like, put, put your trust in God. Ask for a vision. Offer yourself in service. And if you're in singleness and you're like, man, this is hard, and I don't know if I'll ever trust again. I don't know if I could ever do that. I mean, just, just pray to God for a vision. Like pray for, pray for wisdom. Offer yourself to Him and say, do with my story as you please. Because God can do, He can do the impossible. Now, when you're dealing with economies of, uh, you know, uh, of deception, what you're doing is, you're, one, you're concealing true reality, gaslighting, trying to control and manipulate other people, not dealing with, with truthfulness. You're, you're actually creating alternative realities. In other words, you're, through your whispering, you're creating a reality that justifies your anger and your fighting and your quarreling. And you're also covering your own faults and self-deception. This is an interesting sort of flow of thought, but check it out. He says, 
like the glaze covering an earthen vessel are the fervent lips of an evil heart. Literally translated are the hot lips of an, ev- <laughs> of an evil heart. Uh, I don't think it's a compliment on this in this case, and I don't know if it is in any case, but it's not, you know, hot lips here. Um, but the idea here is that you are covering up, covering up something. Your anger is actually covering up something. Whoever hates disguises himself with his lips and harbors deceit in his heart. So my, my, as I'm throwing shade at you, I don't have to look at me. As I'm, as I'm talking angrily about your faults, I don't have to address my own. When he speaks graciously, believe him not, for there are seven abominations in his heart. He is full of it, in other words. Though his hatred be covered with deception, his wickedness is exposed in the assembly. To, to sum it up in a concise way, as my rage at you increases, so does my blindness to self. It's just, it's just what happens. You kind of follow the, throw, throw, the, the flow of thought here. You start dehumanizing people by not letting them have access to the true reality. Then you start whispering and dehumanizing them by, by reducing them in your mind and the minds of others to some of their worst parts. And then what ends up happening is that justifies your fighting and your quarreling. And now as I'm fixated on all the things that you are not, I can't see all the things that I am. That's true. Like when I'm fixated on all the things that you are not, I'm just blind to everything that I am. And what happens when you start dealing in this economy of deception, the person who's being most deceived is you. Like you, you are blinding yourself to the realities of your own relationship. A person cannot speak the truth to them, a person who cannot speak the truth to themselves cannot speak truth to you. And that's a that's a harsh reality of life. Flattery is one of the ways we pretend to be something we are not. And that's I found this to be really intriguing in the text. I gave this a lot of thought this week, and you start to kind of listen to it. When he speaks graciously, believe him not. Because he's, he's full of it. Absolutely full of it. This deceitful, non-truth-telling person. A lying tongue hates its victim. A flattering mouth works ruin. Now listen to uh, Jonathan Akin in his, in his commentary on this. He says, flattery can be exaggerating the truth to elicit a reaction from somebody who will gratify you. Yes, this includes flirting. But it can also be any situation where you praise another so that they like you and respond the way you want. Flattery is a form of manipulation to advance yourself. Now, I didn't put this in a slide because it just dawned on me this morning, but as I was reading through my notes again this morning, I thought, you know, as a pastor, I've had this occasion to see relationships train wreck over time. And there's a pattern in this text that seems to be sort of following that train wreck, sort of pattern. It starts with manipulation and control in the context of relationship. I'm only joking, not dealing in economies of truth, whispering about a spouse to coworkers, which fuels the fighting at home, which, you know, it's like, it's like adding wood to the fire. All that whispering is just like adding wood to the fire just makes it rage more and more hot, which further produces discontentment in the relationship. And then what comes out of that is, you know what, I just don't start flattering people in the workplace. Start flattering people who are, who are near to me. And, the, and you know the, the line from flattering to flirting isn't very, it's not a big step. It's really not a big step. 
Especially not a big step when you spent a whole year talking, boy, I just had bad words, talking poorly, right, (laughs) about your spouse. I'm glad I drank that extra cup of coffee today. I was in a real therapy session for a second here. This is gonna, that's, you, know, we, you spend a year dehumanizing a person that doesn't feel so bad when you go from flattering of a coworker to flirting with a coworker, and it's not a big step to go from flirting with a coworker to an affair. And we need to kind of reverse engineer that whole sort of line of thinking. It really just boils down to not being a person who's willing to tell the truth. And to tell it with, with grace in the context of the relationship. And really possessing a deep desire to control. And I think two signs that you are self-deceived, by the way, are if you are pursuing friends who are always affirming you and never challenging you. And if you are avoiding hard conversations with people who, you, who love you. And here's what I have found, is that all that whispering really isn't only about demeaning the person that I'm in conflict with. That whispering is also about self-justification. And the, self, the person who's been engaged in self-justifying work for all of that time, the last thing they want to be told is that they're wrong. And so what you'll see as a pattern, when someone's life's about the train wreck, is they stop eliminating friends in their life who speak truth to them. And they start surrounding themselves around people who are only affirming their misbehavior. And so when you're dealing in economies of deception, you're concealing true reality, gaslighting. You're creating an alternative reality, whispering. You're covering your own faults and your self-deception. And cratering your life. My wife said that's not a real word, but I, I think it fits. <laughs> Whoever digs a pit will fall into it. A stone will come back on him who starts it rolling. What the proverb is teaching us is when you dig a pit to trap somebody, you end up being the one trapped. When you're rolling that stone up the hill, it's going to end up rolling back on you. In other words, if you embrace a practice of deception, you will eventually be done in by your own devices. That's the essence of the proverb. You will eventually suffer the consequences of, you know, you've made your bed, you're going to lay in it. So, So truth, then, is a means by which we create and build relationships We have to have it for both the creation and the building and the maintenance of relationships. Without it, we're going to find ourselves all alone. And so we have to to be fully rebuked here in this. And you have to be sort of asking yourself the question, where, where am I living in error? And I think there are two primary reasons for deception, at least in this text. One of those is self centeredness seeking my good over your own because a lying person hates his victims and control this need to be in control of the narrative in control of the relationship in control of the outcomes now the gospel addresses our self-centeredness and our need to contr- for control like the gospel addresses both of those things that's good news 
And so what we need to do is get really familiar with the gospel. And I, I, I always summarize, summarize the gospel this way because I think it's really helpful, but it's also applicable to everyday life stuff. Like, I can't, he did, because he did, I can. It's the simplest version of the gospel. I can't, Jesus did, because Jesus did, I can. And so when you start with that summary of the, of the gospel, here's what you begin with. I can't. All that need to be in control and all that self-centeredness is confronted with the gospel. Because the gospel teaches you and me that we cannot be saved by our own activities. We cannot be saved by our good behavior. That we are saved by what he did on our behalf. And so we come to the cross of Jesus and say, I can't do this. I'm a failure. I am a sinner. I cannot overcome my own sin. And every once in a while, I feel like I need to say this to somebody. People will, will, will challenge the fact that they are sinners. Narcissists do this all the time. All right? But they will challenge the fact that they are sinners. I just want to say, look, look, if you don't believe sin is a power in your life, just try to stop doing it. It's a power in the world that Jesus has overcome. Like he lived the life you could not live. He died the death you should have died. He offered himself for you. He did for you what you could not do on your own. And because he did it, I can. And sometimes what happens is we find ourselves in situations in life where we go, okay, I, I get that. I'm a sinner. Yeah, fully understand that. Jesus did for me what I couldn't do. But I just don't believe that it's possible in this life for real redemption to happen. You know, there are many times this happened in the stories of the Bible, but I'll take you to one in Matthew 17. There was a, a, you know, sort of a, a great momentum with you know, the, the disciples casting demons out, but they came to a boy, they couldn't cast the demon out. The disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, because of your little faith, for I truly say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. When we confess this kind of gospel, I can't, he did, because he did, I can, what we're really confessing is we believe that Jesus Christ raised from the dead, and he's also in the work right now of raising dead souls and dead hearts from the grave. Changing lives. That's what Jesus does. He changes lives. Um, to believe in the Gospels will believe that a baby, like we're about to celebrate that at Advent, a baby that was born in the manger was actually God. It's mind-blowing. That baby lived perfectly. It's inconceivable. Gave his perfect life for you and me. That kind of love is unmatched in the universe. I mean, un unbelievable. How do, you, how do you even comprehend that? Died on the cross, was buried, rose again, conquered death and sin. That's our confession. A miracle-working God. So sometimes I think Jesus is just sort of, he's sort of saying to you and me through the power of His Holy Spirit, you have little faith. Do you not see what I've done in the world already? And yet you doubt what I can do in this relationship? Let me just say this to you singles, okay? Because singleness, man, just feels hopeless sometimes. Have, have faith. Trust in Him. Speak to him. Ask him for miracles. Because he's a miracle-working God. See, the gospel, I think, it frees me from self-centeredness because I believe that God is a faithful provider. I believe in God's faithful provision. 
I believe it's true in Romans 8.32 that he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Like, I believe that. I believe God is good. Like, really good. And that he loves you. And he wants to provide for you. And that he, he sees you as a kid and he cares for you deeply. He's a really great loving father. And he gave you everything in his power to give you. And he wants to be there for you. And you need to trust him more. And talk to him more. And ask him for big things. I think the gospel frees me from the need for control because I believe in God's unmatched power. And here's where I, I sometimes come in relationship stuff. And see, I think the biggest miracle, the biggest miracle in, in life is a changed heart. I mean, it really is. Um, if you've ever been in a tough relationship with somebody and you felt like, I, if I could just do this, I could change their behavior. But many of us who've lived long enough know you can't change anybody. Right? You just can't. I mean, no matter how hard you try, you can't. You can influence, you can, you can guide, you can lead, but you can't change any, any, anybody. But you know, there is somebody who can change people. That's God. I mean, miraculously change people. Look at the Apostle Paul. You look at many stories in the Bible. People living diametrically opposed to the good news of the grace of God. And God meets them and changes them. He changes hearts. What he does. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. You got a difficult person in your life who's hard, hard, hard to love. Ask God for that vision for what he could do if he could just change their heart. Pray for them. Desperately pray for them. Ask. God, you hold the hearts of kings in your hand like water. Change her heart. Change, change his heart. Make them new. He determines the number of stars. He gives to all of them their names, great is our Lord, abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. That's your God. That's who you worship. See, truth is not merely impersonal content. Do you see that now? It's not just merely like telling it like it is. It's, 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 it's the means by which relationships are both created and maintained. And better than that, flourish and grow. Shared truth is vital for healthy relationships. But if you are dealing in economies of deceit in your life right now, this is what you're doing. You're concealing the true reality. You're gaslighting. You're creating an alternative reality through your whispering. You're covering your own faults and self-deception because all you can think about is throwing shade on the other person and you can't see yourself. And you're you're creating your life. I mean, you're, you're really setting yourself up for disaster. The person who digs the pit's going to fall into it. The stone is going to roll back over him. You will be done in by your own devices. To have just a one-word application today, tell the truth. Tell the truth. That was fun. Let's pray. Okay, so Father, the way I feel right now is um, I'm afraid that uh, this passage stirs the pot a little bit, and there are conversations that need to be had, 
And so I'm afraid of a couple things, Father, and I just want to address them with you. And one is, I'm afraid that there are some conversations that, that just really need supernatural care and grace and patience. And so as those conversations happen today, Father, I pray that you be present through your Holy Spirit in the application of your word and that you provide fruitful discussion. Uh, Father, I pray that for anybody who is living in sin, they recognize they're living in sin, uh, but the patterns are so ingrained, I just pray that you would uh, miraculously rescue them and save them from their manipulating behavior. They probably learned it from somebody in their life, and it's, it's really hard, and they've developed it over a lifetime. But I pray for supernatural rescue from manipulating behavior and from controlling behavior. I just pray that you would rescue them. Love them be truth-tellers. My hope today is that there, there would be some relationships that would be more vibrant, more life-filled, uh, more glory. They would, they would just be able, to, we'd be able to praise you for how you used your word to change hearts. That's, that's, my, that's my hope today. Uh, so, Father, your will be done in every relationship in this room as it will be in heaven. In your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.